Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, first up, how amazing was anointing service last week? Like favorite those are their favorite moments and i love that we had more people come out in the evening than in the morning we would love you to come for everything but uh it's great to see that people actually were wanting to set time aside to seek after god and we really hope that you got something out of it you see we don't do anointing services because uh we want you to feel goosebumps and pretty good about yourself but like we mentioned is about living your life on mission on purpose finding out what god is saying to you and and also committing every everything to God and and I love that over the course of the last week we've heard some crazy amazing stories of what God is already doing and um, and I don't have permission to share any of them so I won't be but what we would really like you to do is to let us know if things are happening uh, in your life that God's opening doors or you know he's really uh, doing something in your life and the reason for that is because uh, it helps you uh, to solidify what God is doing in your life when you tell the story of what he's doing it increases your faith it solidifies the work that he is doing and it also glorifies God which is really cool and uh, thirdly it also increases the faith of others that are hearing it you don't know who in this room or in this church actually needs to hear that God can um, uh, do something about a job situation that God can do something about a health situation that God can do something about a family situation and when you hear someone else uh, tell the story of how God has healed them or how God's brought breakthrough in their life or how God's done something it increases the faith of someone else so what we'd like you to do is if you're a part of the city put it on the city or talk to Beck and myself because we want to put these stories together and let people know about what God is doing in this church yeah we we want the work that God started last week to continue we don't want it to go, okay, that's anointing service, that's in the past. All right, let's move on to the next thing. No, no, no. What God's doing, He continues working through. He continues to massage it into your lives. And so that's really exciting. And so that's last week. This week, we are in the month of July, and we start off a brand new series. Uh, and it's dealing with the questions that you asked uh, from a couple of months ago now. And we had a bit of time to uh, put them together. And we've come up with five topics that kind of condenses a few questions together each week. Today we are going to talk about, I believe, one of the most important things about Christianity. Uh, The way that I think about this, and I know some people probably don't like that I would use these words, but I see um, what we're talking about today as one of the primary products of Christianity. One of the things that we hold as something that we have, it's kind of like the thing that we sell. And I uh, love studying ads. I don't like watching ads. I love studying ads. I love when when I have no choice and uh, in the middle of um, Cutthroat Kitchen or whatever it is, uh, an ad comes on and I'll I'll watch it because I'm there and there's nothing else to do. Um, And so I'll watch it, but then I'll pull it apart or I go to a movie and they put all those ads up beforehand and I'll watch it and I'll be like, I get really cynical, cynical and pretty passionate about how dumb ads are. And, and I'll be like, man, why would they sell that? Or why would they try to sell that? Like, how many of us know that Lynx is really not a woman attractor? In fact, I heard 
many women say the moment they smell Ling's deodorant, if they remember prepubescent teenage boys that stink. So if you want to smell like a teenage boy that has just finished gym class and absolutely stink, wear Ling's. If you're trying to have sex, it's, oh gosh, you know, I didn't, then don't use Lynx. It's, it's, not, it's not the right product, but yet Lynx pushes sex appeal as its primary product. They, they don't try to sell you deodorant, they try to sell you sex appeal. And in the same way, Christianity has a product, and our product is primarily salvation. And I'm wondering whether there are some people that have gotten really confused about our product of salvation. Um, and they're wondering, because there are people that try to sell it and try to put it... We're not selling iTunes today. I'm sorry. <laughs> we try to uh, put it forward as something uh, that you need. And in the process of selling it, we have gotten some messages across that might have been wrong. We have pushed some messages that don't actually explain the heart of salvation, what it truly is. And that's why today we get this opportunity. I really thank the people that put down questions around this because it gives me the opportunity to talk about it and, and to let you know what is really what, what salvation is really about. And, and, and this is so important because without salvation, we wouldn't be here. Without salvation, there is no need for us to have a church. Without salvation, there is no point in you spending your time getting to know Jesus. But because Jesus brings salvation, that makes all of this worth it. That makes all the effort. The people that get here in the morning pushing all this heavy stuff around is all because we know that we have a God that saves yeah, and so we get to talk about it today, and it's really cool. Uh, but before we get stuck into the real uh, 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 meat of the message, uh, I want to put forward two assumptions, because salvation is a huge topic. It's our primary product. So uh, there are universities that have units that deal specifically with salvation. They're called soteriology. And I don't know these stupid big words that, 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 that academics come up with. And it's just studying salvation. You can spend a whole semester just studying salvation, and you would just be scratching the surface. And so we don't have time to talk about all aspects of salvation. And I do have to assume that you're on the same page as me with two things this morning before before we can go any further. And the first assumption is this, that Jesus Christ is a real historical figure that lived, died, and rose again. It is a historical fact that there's a man called Jesus who lived, was crucified by the Romans, and rose again. And this is not just in the Bible. It, it is also corroborated by external biblical sources. People who are not Christian said that there was a Jesus. So I hate it when people, I really do, because I'm like, you are uneducated, but you're trying to come across as educated. When they say Jesus Christ is a figment of your imagination, I'll say, you don't know nothing. You go back to the hell you can't. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I feel like saying it. And that's why I need salvation, yeah? All of us do. And I get passionate about it because check the facts before you start blabbing. Jesus Christ is a real historical figure. And I say it's an assumption this morning because we covered this before. And you can research more about this or you can talk to us about it. But Jesus is a real person. 
But the things that we that he did, and this is assumption too, that us as Christians, I believe that most of us are on the same page, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was for the purpose of purchasing your salvation. Uh, to put it in a very uh, quick, oversimplified nutshell, the Bible teaches us that we have all sinned and the penalty of sin is death. And God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be a substitution for our death uh, that we could then have life. And then he resurrects from the death to show that sin no longer has any power over us. That is what salvation is about. In a nutshell, oversimplified. There's a whole Bible about it, so go read it for yourself. Um, but I'm going to assume that we are all on the same page because, yes, there's going to be too much for us to, uh, to talk about. And I do want to focus in specifically on the questions that people have asked. And um, so, yes, Jesus is real. And his life, death, and resurrection was for the purposes of your salvation. It was so that you would not have to experience death, but that you would have eternal life. John 3.16, many of us are familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is salvation. And, and, and some of the questions that people were asking is like, so how do I access this salvation? People were asking us, does what I do factor in to this whole picture of salvation? Does my past affect my salvation? And, and, and so we're going we're gonna to be talking about it. How do we access salvation? Now, we've got this screen that we put up nearly every single week, Romans 10 verse 9. Uh, and, and we quote this when we want to invite people to accept Jesus into their lives. And it says... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it goes on to explain, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's on the very next slide, by the way. Um, you will see it in three, two, one. There we go. For with the heart one believes and is saved, and with the mouth one, can, uh, one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, the thing about salvation is that it is not hard to attain. You don't have to do much. In fact, there's only two prerequisites, that you believe and that you confess. That's all that the Bible talks about when it comes to salvation. God does not take into account your past or what you have done. God doesn't care about that. And He cares more about your belief and your confession. And we're going to be diving into that a lot more this morning. Just remember, the two keys to salvation is a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth. And I love that one of the big characters in the Bible really shows us that the prerequisite for salvation is really just these two things. And his name is Paul. He's the Apostle Paul. He's one of the greatest characters in all of Christian history. In fact, he was the guy that promoted Christianity beyond Israel, and I will go so far as to say that if you take Paul out of history, we would not be here. There would not be a church outside of Israel if not for this man named Paul. He was a crazy, on-fire Christian. He, he was whipped um, 
not by a woman. He was, um, he was not married at all. He was whipped physically. And, and, and back in those days, they whipped you with a cat of nine tails. Uh, they, they put barbs, hooks at the end of these whips. And they will whip you 40 lashes minus one as the, uh, the, 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 the biggest punishment they could have because they, they believe that if they whipped you 40 times, you would die. And so they whipped him literally to an inch of his life. They, they whipped him, they tortured him, they imprisoned him. He experienced many shipwrecks. I would not ever sail with this man because he just has a thing about ships and sinking. And, and, and he did all of those things because he believed so much in the gospel and he believed so much in his mission that he went through all of that because he wanted the gospel to continue to spread. One of the greatest men in all of Christian history. But the thing about it is that he wasn't always like that. Before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul the persecutor. He actually went around killing Christians as an occupation. And if you think that God would think about what you do in terms of whether he gives you salvation or not, I put a question forward to you. Would you care or love a person that is killing your children? If God cared about your past, Paul would have no right, Saul would have no right to step into salvation. You think you've done some bad stuff. You've not killed a Christian yet. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but this man went around on a mission to kill Christians and literally on the road to do one of these missions... God met with him. And in that moment, his life was completely changed. And it really shows me that your past and what you have done has got nothing to do with what God wants to do. I believe that God sees you and he sees the mission. He sees what you are going to accomplish in the future. He saw Saul and he said, you, that's not the real you. But when I come into your life, when I give you salvation, when you have this encounter with me, it will so change your life that you will change all of history as well. I will send you on the real mission for which you were born for. And I believe that when God sees each and every person in this room, He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see the things that you've done wrong. He sees your future. He sees what you can be and will be with Him. And in that moment, He gives you this thing called salvation. And I, I absolutely love it. I love that God really doesn't care about your past. And, 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 and all it really matters is that you believe and that you confess and um, yeah, this is, this is cool, isn't it? This is cool. And, and the thing is that many of us also get a little bit um, confused about salvation because we understand that salvation is to keep us from death and instead give us eternal life, yeah? Everyone on the same page with that? Uh, we we uh, accept Jesus into our lives, and so we will not perish but have eternal life. And, and some people get a little bit confused about this whole perish and eternal life stuff because uh, um, we all still die. I know many Christians that have died, but they die a physical death. But what the Bible actually describes is not just a physical death, but it's something that comes after our physical death. Maybe you want to call it the afterlife or, or, or whatever. The Bible often calls it eternity. And you either 
There's only two places. You either go into a place of eternal death or a place of eternal life. And we sometimes call eternal death hell. And, and, and this is where it gets really confusing for some people because we, we see what we see in this life. And then we assume that the afterlife looks a lot like this. And so some people think that sin looks a lot more fun. All those Christians, they are wet blankets. They don't like drinking. They don't do drugs. They don't, have, uh, they don't sleep around. Uh, uh, they, they, don't, they, they always talk about having to sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. So isn't eternal life just going to be more of that stuff for the Christians? You know, just abstinence and, and, and trying to be holy in your little cave. Whereas it seems like the things that Christians don't do are a lot more fun. And so people, culture has actually got this image of eternal death, hell, as being this big grand party. Where you get to have all the alcohol you want, all the, the, the rock music that, that Christians hate, and all the drugs and all the sex that you can ever get is going to be found in hell and not in heaven. And we get this picture that eternal life, heaven is where you wear a toga and, and, and you sprout wings and, and you learn how to play a harp. Now, there's something really wrong with this picture. Jesus was Jewish, not Greek. I will never wear a toga, whether in this life or in the next. Maybe a bed sheet if I have to go for some stupid dress-up parties, which I hate. Never have a dress-up party with me there. Um, <laughs> But we get this picture of eternal life being boring and, and lame and eternal death being a party. But the Bible describes eternal death as a place of eternal condemnation, a place of eternal emptiness, a place of pain, eternal pain and punishment. And, and, and so if you want to choose hell, you are choosing literally pain for the rest of eternity. If you want to know how long eternity is, it will blow your mind. You cannot comprehend eternity. At best, maybe some of us will live to 80, 90 years old. Eternity is more than 100 times that. Eternity is more than a million times that. And you are choosing to stay in an eternity of pain and suffering. And so some people have this question, if God is so loving, why is there hell? It's because God never circumvents your will. God will never go against your will. And so He lets you choose between life and death. You have to choose life. And the way that we access that is by believing in our hearts and confessing with our lips that Jesus is Lord and then salvation is yours. I know it sounds so simple. And, and, and I know that some people are still wrestling with that. But, but we need to dive into this because I think many of us are taking salvation for granted. And another thing that, 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 that rises and a couple of questions that people asked is that so I, I believe and I've confessed but then can I lose my salvation and other people ask if, if, if Christ is that good and that loving then why is it that when he has come and, and I've accepted salvation to my life then it seems like I have a book of rules to follow why is it that there's so many restrictions on our life? Shouldn't life be exciting? Shouldn't life be full? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I really want to dive into this in the next um, 10 minutes that we have left um, this morning. But I think many of us think of salvation in this way. When I believe and I confess, God gives me a ticket. And this ticket says, one-way trip to heaven. 
And so we believe that somehow um, this ticket allows us to stand on the side of salvation and not on the side of death anymore. And then right now we're kind of like waiting till we die so that we get to cash in this ticket. But in the midst of waiting till we die, we are kind of worried that somehow God is like Santa Claus and has a naughty and nice book. And somehow if I do enough bad things, he's going to go and burn up the ticket that I've got or something. And he's evaluating your life every single day, every single moment. And that's a picture that I believe many Christians have got. They are so worried about how I'm doing this ticket. Is it still valid? Is it still valid? Next year, you go through, is it still valid? Have, have I done enough to keep the validity on this ticket? Have I renewed it well enough? It's like there's an expiry date every year, 25th of December, Santa Claus comes and says, yes, you can, you're still on a nice list. You get to go to heaven if you die right now. But we are kind of worried that we're going to do something bad that is going to tip us over to the other side and, and we no longer have that ticket. And I used to think about Christianity in those terms. I used to think that, yeah, yeah, I've done the whole like confess and believe thing and now I've got this ticket. I'm making sure I keep it somewhere safe that I'm always going to remember. But I was always worried about how I was going to salvation. I was always worried whether I still had it or whether I had lost it. And for the rest of this morning, I'm hoping to put forward a case for you to understand that salvation was never yours to earn. And if salvation was never yours to earn, it's never yours to lose. I'm going to say that again. Salvation was never yours to earn, and therefore it is never yours to lose. And, and, and Paul, again, is the one that really dives into this. And he says in... Philippians 3, 4 to 11, he says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh. Now, I'm just going to unpack really quickly. When he says confidence in the flesh, he simply means that he's confident in his own works. I'm confident that I'm doing enough. I'm confident in my ability. And he says, if anyone has reason for confidence in the flesh, he has more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This man believed wholeheartedly that if God was to come right now in his life, I have done absolutely nothing wrong. I deserve, I have earned salvation. That's what he was saying. And, and, and the thing is that if any of us evaluate our lives right now, and if you can think of even one thing that you've done wrong, you are deserving of hell. That's how the system works. God set it up so that as long as there is any sin, the Bible tells us if one person has committed any sin, he is guilty of committing every sin in the Bible. There isn't a distinction between a, a, a lesser sin and a greater sin. There is sin and sinless. If you committed one sin, you are on this side. But Paul, Paul says, if I am to be confident in my flesh, I had that confidence. I was completely blameless. He followed every law to the dot. 
But then he goes on to say in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, and I want you to hear this, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Oh my gosh, this guy wants to share in God's sufferings, becoming like him in death, really? you want to die for Jesus that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead this is where we need to understand something salvation isn't something that God's given to you as a ticket Paul is describing salvation and he says that I was in a place where I could have confidence in my flesh I could have. And that is something in myself that I don't even understand because I tried really hard. And I thought that I attained something. I thought that I was getting to a place where I deserve salvation. But as I got through life, things got tougher. Every year, when the hormones began to increase that little bit more, you know, things start to happen in you that is like, man, it's getting harder to please God. But this man managed to somehow stay blameless. But when he encountered Jesus... He said, I count everything that I have attained personally of myself as loss because of the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. And this is when I begin to understand a lot more about what God is trying to do with salvation. See, salvation is not a pass. Salvation is not a ticket. Salvation is actually having your eyes open to the surpassing greatness of God. Salvation is about stepping into a place where when you see God, it is a place of joy and is a place of such greatness, whereas uh, uh, you realize that, that as long as you are trying in your own flesh, it is bringing disappointment, it is bringing hurt, it is bringing a weight upon your shoulders, it is actually pulling you down and you're trying and you're trying and you think that you're blameless, but you keep comparing yourself to other people. They're having so much fun. You know, I know so many Christians that try to live religiously, behaving according to the law and one thing that they always do that they always do that they always do is that they always think that other Christians who are having fun are not being godly and we get to a place because we think that we are having to be so bound up in order to attain our salvation that when someone else is having fun raising their hands worshiping God have a big smile on their face that's not the God that I serve I serve a God of slavery and then they say come on come to my God of slavery and I'm like false advertising mate God is a God that says, when you see me, there is this surpassing worth and this surpassing greatness that you will behold. And in that moment, it becomes like everything else of the flesh doesn't matter anymore. See, God doesn't care about what you've done and God doesn't care about what you're going to do. 
He cares about the fact that your heart is saying, God, I want to know you more. Salvation isn't yours to earn. Salvation is a gift from God that you receive because of faith, uh, because of grace, and by your faith. By your faith, what does it mean by faith? It means that in your heart there is this belief. And if you have the wrong belief, you're going to have the wrong idea of salvation. If you believe that God is cynical and, and, and overbearing, you will see salvation as a need to, 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 to satisfy this unsatisfiable God. If you see salvation as, as, as weak and powerless, that's when you'd kind of throw salvation aside. And that's why so many people have said, I'll just pick salvation up when, when I've gone through my life and when I had enough. You get what I mean? I hope that this is making sense and that you can kind of see uh, what is going on. But what Paul was saying is that salvation is about me finally understanding That there is a greatness in God that is of surpassing worth compared to anything else. So when we receive salvation, receiving salvation is not receiving a ticket and then having to keep a hold of it. Receiving salvation is the moment that your eyes begin to open up to the surpassing greatness of God. And then Paul goes on to say in another book, let me just try to find it. He says in Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your salvation. As you begin to have your eyes open to the greatness of God, what God wants you to do is to keep widening those eyes up. It's not a one-off process. It's not a one-off moment where you suddenly go, oh yeah, God's great, and then suddenly your whole life is all sussed. It is a gradual process. And, and you know why I think it's a gradual process? Because if God revealed himself fully to you, you would die. You'll become brain dead. You would not be able to contain the surpassing greatness of our God in one moment. But as we continue walking with him, there's like our eyes just begin to glimpse that little bit more. Whenever you start to think, man, I don't know whether I can do this, and then you step into a place where God's saying, but I'm here and I'm with you, and my grace is sufficient for you. you, you allow that to sink in, that God is here with me. When you're going through a health difficulty and, and you know, things are getting hard, and you're like, I don't know if I can hold on, and God is there in that moment, and he says, I'm here for you, child, and I'm going to be here for you. You can have peace. You can still have joy in the midst of this storm. And then your eyes begin to open up that little bit more how many of us here are on a journey to open our eyes more how many of us are truly in a position where we are saying i want to see more of god i really really hope that lift church is not going to be full of people that say that are christians but all they think that christianity is is holding a little ticket of salvation christianity is about us knowing more about our god how much do you love God? I really love the song that we were singing this morning, um, What a Savior. And I think it's such a beautiful song because when it, get, when it hits that bridge, it says, Should this life I live hold nothing but the cross? That is enough. 
when you get to that place in your life where you can truly say, should this life that I live hold nothing but the cross? I believe that that's when there's a real faith that is developing in your heart. Am I here to judge whether you're the right faith or not? No. As long as you tell me you're a Christian, I'll, I'll probably believe you. It's not my part to judge. But what I'm trying to put forward to you is this understanding. Don't come here every Sunday to hear about the next rule that you're supposed to follow. I hope that you're coming here with a desire to see more of God every single moment of every single day. And, and, and all the things that God is saying don't do is not because He's trying to steal your fun, but you will begin to realize that the things that He's saying not to do is actually taking away from the, the true life that He has given to you. As you walk in your life and you see the greatness of God, you will learn how to trust that what He's saying in His Word to you, it is not to shackle you or to restrict you, but it is to give you life. Why are there all these rules is because God wants to let you see the greater life that is available through Him. But that greater life will always seem less if you you continue to think that the flesh contains all the joy that you need. But when you get to that point where you see God and you say, that is of surpassing worth, then you start to understand what's going on. This morning, if we can get the band up, my question to every person is this. When you think of Jesus, is it surpassing worth? Even as a beginning, look, it doesn't... I'm not asking you right now where, where every time you think of Jesus, you're bawling your eyes out, you're on your knees, and you're like, oh my gosh, God, you're so great. If you're in that moment, thank you. Awesome. Go for it. God loves that, a heart that is yielded to Him. But it's a growing process. And even if right now you're, there's a stirring in your heart that's saying, hmm, that sounds right. There's something in there that I need for myself. That's a good place to start. When does salvation kick in? Who knows? But who cares? That is a worldly kind of thinking. What I'm worried about is whether my eyes are still on Jesus and on whether I'm still holding on to that revelation that He is of surpassing worth. So this morning, as a first step, I want to give every person the opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, to be your Lord and your Savior. It starts with a belief in your heart. And like I said, that belief can just be a little seed. It can just be that little moment where it's, God, I think possibly there is more worth in you than anything that this world can give me. And I want to start following you. If that's just this little seed that you have in your heart, great. Next step is to confess it with your lips. And to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I invite you into my life. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.